GalaxyCon Live is the place for you to hear about fandom from the celebrities who bring geek culture to life. Welcome, friends, fans, and children of all ages to another edition of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing the convention experience directly to you. And today, we are going back to the Great Forest by way of the second star to the right, and along the way, visit 101 Dalmatians with five amazing Disney guests. So without further ado, let's wish upon a star and bring them out. Our first guest is an actor, writer, and director whose work in front and behind the camera include Maniac, Santa Girl, and the Good Old Boys. Today, he joins us as the modern voice of Peter Pan in 2002's Peter Pan 2 Return to Neverland. Please welcome back our friend, Lane Weaver. Hello, what a great intro. <laughs> well, I try, sir. You are all worthy of them. Very good, very good. Blaine, how you been, boss? I am living the dream, pal. Uh, very excited about the holidays coming up and, uh, you know, just uh, staying busy. How about you? I, I am doing well in my corner of the world. Uh, like GalaxyCon Live, it just never, never stops this wonderful hamster wheel that we've created. And uh, we've got programming every weekend all the way through. And speaking of programming and the holidays, you have a new Christmas movie out, uh, Cupid for Christmas, a film you've directed with the great Richard Kind as Cupid. That's yeah. all you need to sell me, but tell our audience a little more. Exactly. right. Well, you know, uh, you, you need Richard Kind playing Cupid, and then you need to work Christmas in there. And then it's it's got everything. It's a yeah. Valentine's Christmas mashup kind of thing. It's romantic and funny and charming. And uh, Richard Kind, you said, uh, Melanie Stone, Richard, uh, sorry, Ryan Carnes. And uh, it's a great, charming thing that's playing on Hulu right now. It just dropped last week, I think. Uh, so very excited and check it out. Oh, absolutely. And of course, it's not your only Christmas movie. Uh, you did another collaboration with our, our honorary uncle, Barry Boswick. <laughs> Barry Boswick playing Santa Claus uh, in Santa Girl, uh, which also stars uh, Jennifer Stone from Wizards of Waverly Place and uh, Devin Werkheiser from Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. That is available on Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime as well, I think. But that's Santa Girl. And uh, yeah, working with Barry Boswick, who is a uh, specifically grumpy Santa Claus, which I enjoy very much. Um, but yeah, he, that was a great experience. Uh, absolutely. Well, Blaine, always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, great to see you again. And uh, looking forward to the next time uh, we can uh, have some fun at the bar. But until then, no. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell people. Uh, it's Christmas. Let's have some fun. <laughs> And speaking of fun, our next guest is an actress and radio broadcaster whose animation work includes the Synchro Fox animation classic series, Space Angel, and of course, one of my all-time favorites, Clutch Cargo. Today, she joins us as the live action model, which is an interesting way of saying motion capture before that technology ever existed, of Tinkerbell. In the original Peter Pan, please welcome back the always lovely Margaret Carey. And happy holiday. Happy holiday to everyone. This is, I'm dressed for it with all the sparkles today. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. Oh, Margaret, so wonderful to have you back. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful. We did uh, two shows last night, my new husband and I. We were invited to a, a fundraiser for the Ringling College of Art and Design here in Sarasota. And we met the nicest people, and they all knew Tinkerbell, every single one of them from somebody who was 102 years old to a little kid who was four. And I thought, that's pretty keen. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Margaret is so glad to have you back. And as always, wonderful to see you in good health and good spirit. 
Well, I love you all, and let's get going. Absolutely. And with that, our next guest is an actor whose body of work includes The Return of the Fly, Master of the World, and of course, Star Trek The Original Series. Today, he joins us as the voice of the dutiful Sergeant Tibbs in 1961's 101 Dalmatians. Please welcome back our friend, David Frankham. Hi, Patty. Hi, Galaxy <laughs> friends. Hi there. Hi, happy holidays. <laughs> and to you as well, David. I I love your Christmas tree in the background there. It's, it's, oh, it's... you see it. Good, good. <laughs> Absolutely. How are you doing, David? Doing fine. Just finished recording the dialogue and singing my very first song on a full-length animated feature. It's going to take a whole year to draw it up, and it's called Plummet to Adventure. So about a year from now, maybe we'll be talking about that. And if you have questions about the composer, Jonathan David Dixon is right here beside me. <laughs> well, Dixon, absolutely. Let's, uh, yeah, when we can get more details about that, I would love to hear about this project. And as always, I always look forward to any opportunity I get a chance to talk to you, David. Once again, glad to have you here and great to have you back. Thanks, Freddie. <laughs> Absolutely. And our next guest joins us to discuss his time as the voice of Bambi's best friend, our favorite Disney bunny thumper. Please welcome back Peter Bean. Hey, everybody. Hey, Peter. Hello. How are you doing? I'm uh, right in the middle of uh, Salt Lake right now, looking out at snow, which is sort of unusual here in uh, Salt Lake. But the mountains have a multi-feet uh, which is good. That's where the skiers want to be. Ah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, and besides that, everything's good in your world? Everything is just fine. Yep, still healthy, still walking and talking, which uh, I think is a good thing at 87. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing at any age, but absolutely. <laughs> glad, well, glad to have you, uh, Peter. So lovely to have you. Good health and good spirit. And finally... He is an actor and retired United States Marine whose credits include The Tower of London and the uh, Universal Classic film Son of Frankenstein. Today he joins us as the voice of the young Prince of the Forest in 1942's Bambi. Please welcome back Donnie Dunnigan. Hello, everybody. Are you having a great time or what? How can you not smile with Margaret looking at you, huh? You, you got to be a candidate for the funny farm not to smile with her. I am so grateful in my life to be related to the Bambi family. I have almost 80 this year alone drawings of Bambi from children all over the world with the poems and, and would you send us this, would you send us that? Bambi has had an influence beyond measure. There's positive and positive in this world and I'm one lucky old dear to be part of it. Uh, sir, absolute pleasure to have you back. Glad to see you uh, in good spirit as always. And distinguished panelists, welcome back to the GalaxyCon virtual stage. Our team is going through our chat room right now, pulling out the questions for us. In the meantime, I'd just like to throw this out. What has become a favorite memory for everybody from being a part of the greater Disney universe? Well, I'll speak up. <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, as some people know, that I just got married, and uh, a year and eight months ago, and when I found out, he had called me after seven years with David, and I became Tinkerbell, and he went to work up in other places for the mobile oil company, 
and he found me because uh, he was walking down the street in, in, in uh, over in Europe, and there was a sign that says Tinkerbell Toys, and they got in touch with me, and it was a Disney win. But what I loved was Disney came together. They opened up the studio for all of us, and we took a tour with everybody. And then the next day, a day after that, they had a big party for us at at the um, at the I can't remember the name of it. It's the restaurant across the smokehouse. Oh. And then the next day, Walt Disney's barn was open. 400 people came. And the next day, I flew off to Sarasota. So I get calls all the time from Disney folk. And it's the love of Disney. And I can tell them it has just been full of love from way back when. And we are, um, we will have our 70th anniversary of the movie Peter Pan in 2023. And of course, 2023 is the 100th anniversary of Walt Disney and his brother started to put the business together. So it's going to be very exciting, but it's like we're all family. It's really a remarkable place. So day after day, something new and exciting happens. So I can't pick something special. I just know tomorrow will be. There you go. There you go, that's wonderful. Uh, who's got another uh, another fond memory they can share? Yeah, David. Yeah, well, I, I think my fondest memory of my entire life was standing on the set and holding out my hand and saying, it's an honor to meet you, Mr. Disney. I was, it's like talking to God. You know, how typical of him from all I know about him. He didn't say no, no. He said, oh, shucks. Around here, everybody calls me Walt. Well, I tried for seven days. I couldn't do it. I, I tried to say, you can't say Walt. You can't say Walt to Mr. Disney. But I tried. So that was like the thrill of the thrill of my life. Now, David, did you call Vincent Price Mr. Price too, or is it just Vincent? I, I did when I started. You bet. I'm 5'10, he was 6'4. Of course, I called him Mr. Price. <laughs> Let me tag on to David's. My impression of Mr. Disney from the time he walked out of the building to meet my mom and I, me in the parking lot okay, was incredible, incredible lasting impression. He, did not conduct himself like some pompous executive marching around, everybody to be fearful of. He was a participatory leader and he had a good sense of humor. He put up with me, <laughs> no small trick in those days, I'm sure. <laughs> and he had a sense of charity that was not broadcast. Sometimes people give a lot of money to something or help something and they call their agent right away, let everybody know I did that. Okay? That was not like Mr. Disney. And he was a worker. Some other studios, when the executives would come around, you could hear the workers and the, the sound guys and the big guys moving the set say, watch out, here comes so-and-so, watch out. Not with Mr. Disney. When he came around, you could hear people say, here comes Walt, here he comes, ask him, he'll help. Big difference in leadership that spilled all over Disney Studios. Oh, <laughs> uh, Donnie, I, I envy, I envy you. I envy you all who had experiences li like that with Mr. Disney. Truly, I, <laughs> I call him Mr. Disney. <laughs> 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 you know, so if I had met him, I'd give a person to call Walt. It'd be okay. But there you go. <laughs> oh, 
Peter, I, I, I know your time on there was, uh, but uh, any, any memory of, or maybe just since then? Um, so I think, I believe it uh, took a long time as people tracked, had to track you down to, uh, and sort of knocked on your door and said, oh, by the way, people want to meet you. Well, that, that's a story all, all of its own. Um, actually, what I want to relate right now is the overall experience of having been Thumper uh, except for that period before uh, I was found, um, I, I didn't tell my friend very many friends or no, nobody really knew what I had done. But after that came out and I realized that someone meeting Thumper, it, it gave them, you know, a joy. They, they thought it was very cool and... Uh, and that made me feel good and less reticent about, uh, you know, talking about it and telling people. And one of the things I've discovered, you know, 80 some years later, is that if you go into the grocery store and you ask somebody if they've ever seen Thumper or the movie Bambi, and it's literally almost impossible to find anybody mm -hmm. who said, says no. And uh, that, that's kind of rewarding and makes me feel good to know that I've been involved with something that is so, so classic and enduring. Um, so that I think that's my biggest takeaway from having been involved with the movie. Yeah, I have to agree with Peter there. I think for me, like the, the high point is just being involved with this group of people, you know, like uh, uh, obviously I never got the joy of meeting Walt Disney, but like, being able to talk to these icons, you know, who did that and being a part of something that is so much bigger than the individual, you know, uh, everybody knows Thumper and Bambi and, you know, Pan and Tinkerbell, you know, and it, it's just such a special uh, family to be a part of. Um, experientially, uh, I guess the premiere at the El Capitan Theater of Return to Neverland, where I got to stand on the green carpet with uh, Margaret Carey and re finally realized that, wow, I, I'm a part of the history of this now, too, uh, which yeah. is very special. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a great place to be. Mm -hmm. This may sound corny to some people, but not to you folks, I'm sure, and the fans of Walt Disney and Bambi. <clears throat> One of Peter Bain's beautiful, beautiful presentations of Little Thumper. I have used and used and used forever. And I'm in my 88th year, so I got a lot of uses, right? <laughs> Remember his, his enjoiner to, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. That has had a tremendous influence on children, particularly around bullies in schools and orphanages. Eh? And uh, I steal from him and do real good with it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, if, if I could say talking about meeting Mr. Disney Walt, um, we were working on the same soundstage. <clears throat> excuse me. And I was in the center of the soundstage with the big camera, and they were telling me what they wanted to take them to do, and I was doing it. And this group of men would come in, uh, and Buddy Epson was leading it. It, there's a picture of it, two pictures of it in my book, and he's they're going over to the side wall, and obviously he's there that's leaning over and talking is Walt Disney. There's no question about it. Well, after the group goes, Walt Disney turns around 
and came over to talk to Mark Davis, who was my director, who cast me in the role, who designed Tinkerbell to see how it was going. And the cameraman, really casual. And I thought, my, what a handsome man. But my point is, I started in the movies when I was four years old. And the uh, a little sentence a little while ago, we were taught that the head of the studio was G-A-W-D, God. You didn't talk to them. If you saw them, you curtsied and you turned your back so that they would, but they could make you a star. And then, here I'm talking. I'm talking to the head of the studio. And he turned around and said to me, I don't know he talked. He said, um, I think you went to school with my daughter. And I said, yes, we were in the same school, Monticello School for Girls. He said, I think you must have liked you. And we chatted about it. I, I was on cloud 19 for the next two days. Uh, he was so much more handsome than I thought. And he was very trim, beautifully dressed. Never saw him smoke. And his whole feeling goes throughout his whole family that that's what you do as charity. That's what you do with chat with people. And it's, it's, it follows through on the whole studio and the work that's there. So that's my two cents. There you go. There you go. Very nice. Oh, we're good to go on our audience questions. So thank you for indulging in my capricious curiosity. And let's go ahead and roll our first one from our audience. And this comes from Dante. And he wants to know, what is everybody's favorite animated Disney movie? <laughs> it's okay, And it's okay to say the one that you, that you had a part in. <laughs> I mean, can you not? I mean, Peter Pan. Is, I mean, I <laughs> the one I wasn't in is my favorite. <laughs> but see, my favorite movie is a very popular, and it's most there's a lot of animation in it that is incredible. I'm a dancer from way back. That's why I can do so much of that I'm doing now at my age. And I just, I, my jaw just drops open at that movie. It's fabulous. Now, right there, and I can't tell you the difference. Is a movie called Peter Pan. So I have to admit, both of those fabulous. There you go. There you go. I will. I will broaden it out. So favorites. So you don't have to declare one. If you have a couple, go ahead and share. So, uh, uh, David, you got one? Oh, you betcha! I was eleven years old, and for the first of my eleven years, I sat in a theater and saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I fell in love with Dopey all through my homework. <laughs> My written answers to history and geography, all down the margins, I had done a rather ham-fisted version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Never dreaming, of course, that one day I will be proud to be part of that wonderful Disney family. I will never forget. And the songs, I mean, what a wonderful movie. What a wonderful start to an 11-year-old looking at animated features. It was magic, sheer magic. I wow. agree. I absolutely agree. Peter, you got one? Well, yeah. Other other than uh, Bambi and Thumper, um, a movie that had impression on me was Fantasia, which ah. is not a movie that any of you folks have been involved in, but it was so different. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. Yep. Well, of, course, well, of course, I've seen... Yes all of the other movies that everybody's been in as well as Snow White 
but and they're all great. But uh, that one, I think, made an impression on me. Very much so. Walt, Walt's great experiment. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Donnie, bring us home. Favorite Disney animated feature. <clears throat> I'm going to be a Renaissance man on this. I've been asked that question many times, and I had a few that I would say this or that. This, but I've matured in that now because I've seen them again, and I've listened to children report them. I first, I finally saw this. I finally saw that. Every one of Disney's classics that many of these wonderful people represent has some messages in it that resonate forever or we would not be here. Okay, Example, Bambi, just for example, obvious for me, right? The environmentals. He ran some risk in that. The very first major movie ever to show environmental sensitivity of burning the forest, recklessness in the forest, was Bambi. And I know for a fact... I heard hearsay, but it was good hearsay when I was six or seven years old, that he got some hate mail about showing, he did, he got some hate mail at the studio about showing that environmentals, okay? And his, his eagerness to to to, uh, uh, to press it, okay? Yeah. But all his films emphasize friendships, reduction of bullies, loving each other, have some goodness in it, and little messages. So my sense is, Everything that Walt did for this country and for the world is good stuff for me. Fair. Absolutely fair. There you go. Dante, there you go. Great question to start us off with. And what do we have next? Here's one from Zeb. If you uh, if you hadn't been doing any voice work with Disney, um, what would you think you would have been doing? And I think most of you did go on and do other projects. But uh, uh, I tell you what, what what did everybody do? Uh, what is that, what else has everybody done in, in their careers? Because everybody else has absolutely uh, done some great work. I'll start. I you know yeah. so I, I'm a writer director, but in a weird way, I, Margaret and I were talking about this uh, at the last in person convention actually uh, in a strange way like Peter Pan kind of allowed me to move into directing and whatnot um, I, I was a working actor in Los Angeles and uh, but then I got this opportunity with uh, Peter Pan and because of an experience that I had as a screenwriter I really wanted to direct I wanted to move into the director seat and I basically took the money that I made from Return to Neverland and financed my first feature which is not a good financial investment plan by the way not, uh, <laughs> not not stable but um i don't know that i would have gotten the opportunity had i not had returned to neverland to be able just to move the funds from this into a whole new career now i've directed eight features i think and uh, i i just always think about the opportunities that uh, peter pan gave me. right on there you go well, I'll, I'll say a couple of words. Um, I, unlike everyone else here, uh, I did not stay in the uh, acting, voice acting movie industry when I was uh, two or three recording sessions away from the end. Uh, there were like eight, I believe. My father decided that uh, Hollywood was not a place he wanted us to grow up in. And this was back in the 30s. Uh, so he he picked up the whole family. We went to Tucson and he became uh, an English uh, professor 
at the University of Arizona. He'd previously been a, a screenwriter in Hollywood, and he took a huge cut in salary to, uh, to make that move. Uh, so following that, we moved east in uh, 47, um, grew up there, and uh, became a real estate broker and a developer of property, went to Vermont. So that's sort of the scenario of where I, uh, what I did and where I was. And then uh, in 97, uh, we moved to uh, Utah, uh, where I had another real estate job. So that's where we are now. <laughs> there you go. And now you're here. <laughs> That's right. And that, that's only in the last year. So this is sort of bringing me back into the fold is what it's sure. really. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I had something that happened to me because of the movie, um, Peter Pan. Uh, I just um, got a call from Mark Davis, said, would you like to do the voice of the red-headed mermaid in the movie? And would you like to do the... Uh, motion attached and I said of course I would and so we showed up and I say we there were three of us we showed up at the recording studio at this uh, at the studio inside and there was June Foray and Connie Hilton and myself and we spent the afternoon just having a great deal of fun we had lines like we just wanted to drown her or the other one, oh, Peter, we're so happy to see you. And all of we were just having a ball. So the three of us finished what we were doing, and we were going, then going to be called back when they had things set up with the rocks for us to be on soundstage, and then we were actually going to do the filming. And we're standing there, and I said to June Foray, and I say, people say, June Foray, that name sounds familiar. June Foray turned out to be the top voice actress in the world for voiceover. And yeah. I'm trying to think of Bullwinkle and Rocky. Oh, she played Rocky and she mm -hmm. played she played the grandmother in Mulan. And that wonderful little voice of hers. I used to tease her unmercifully about that one. And the uh, we looked at each other and said, why are we fighting for a career in front of the camera? Now, this is the way to do it. You show up at 1.30, you've either done your hair or you haven't. You don't have to get into costume. You haven't had to learn any lines. And they give you a script that could change it for you, and you stand there and you read it. And they say, we want that one, or we don't want that one. Why don't we go for voiceover? And Connie, uh, I help them, I don't know what happened to the June and for voiceover. And, of course, I did over 600 cartoons for television, including Clutch Cargo, and including his little sidekick, the G, what are we doing now, Clutch? And Secret of Agent Axe. And went on to work 139 episodes with the new three stooges. So voiceovers uh, became very, very important to me, and I ended up at a Christian talk to do the flagship of Salem Communications. And I was there for 12 years, yes, so sir. I'm still using my voice. Oh, I did an interview with the show or something that somebody called me for. But basically, that 
a Mark Davis called me for that. Move me over into voiceover work. Bless it. Bless it. There you go. And Mark and Davis, of course, Davis Disney legend. My, my, my resume, if there is one, looks like I can't hold a job. <laughs> I does. We were dirt poor in the Depression. Um, 19, I born 1934, and uh, Disney contacted uh, my mom after seven films I had uh, major roles in, some of them co-star, yeah, including Sonic Frankenstein, okay, and a wonderful fun one called Mother Carrie's Chickens and Tower of London, a bunch of films, right? And, and Disney was my very first voiceover event of any kind, right before Pearl Harbor, World War II, right? Pearl Harbor and World War II start for us changed everything. Um, the films had allowed me to allow me to bring uh, family out of the depression, had a first house, first car, and on and on. I'm sure you have all witnessed those kind of stories since Bambi, my in World War II and a lot of damage and ruptures and family departures and deaths. I was in a boarding house at age 14, supporting myself from then to now, no exceptions. Yeah. And that can have a tremendous influence on your life. I got a draft notice during the Korean War. I didn't know the draft from anything. I never went to the movies. This makes me a hypocrite. Okay. I, I'm supporting myself. Movies cost money. I didn't go to the movies. And I got a draft notice. I'm 18 and a half. I go to the draft board, and uh, I did not know how that procedure went. Um, a Marine recruiter who was not supposed to be in there kind of struck me off to the side. Pretty soon I'm in the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, and became, uh, ironically, to this day, uh, right from boot camp, they sent me to DI school and made me a drone instructor. Youngest drone instructor in Marine Corps history, then or now. Lots of promotions, probably half of which I, I probably shouldn't have got so darn early. Uh, <laughs> retired as a battalion commander, from private for sergeant battalion commander. You can read all the things in between. Some bullet holes that God didn't put there, I promise you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and during that time, I was loaned out there's several intelligence agencies during the Cold War. Remember the Cold War? It was not cold, by the way. Remember, it wasn't. And uh, going after the Army counterintelligence, the DIA counterintelligence, special agent all over the place uh, during this kind of paranoid time of a Cold War. Uh, retired 44 years ago from the wonderful Marine Corps, went into business, ran a couple of small corporations as a CEO, CFO, and um, finally retired at age 66. I'm about as retired as a water buffalo. <laughs> More darn things going on. You can shake a stick at. Had a wonderful life. And a lot of it goes back to the old movies, how we were before World War II, and the impressions that some of the people made on me from Walt Disney to Universal Studio to this day. Men got up when ladies came by the table. They moved chairs for the ladies. They opened the door for ladies in the parking lot. I remember all this well. Go to Walmart today and watch that one. Good luck. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and Donnie, I've said it before, and I will say it again. Uh, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. And David, you of course, you of course have had a really wonderful acting career, and obviously, you're and you are still at it with that uh, new project uh, next year. Uh, and you recently just uh, got reunited with uh, George Takei. I saw that video on your Facebook. Yes, indeed. That was a great thrill, actually, because uh, the first day on Star Trek, when I walked onto the set, 
George walked across the set with his hand outstretched and said, welcome aboard the Enterprise. In my 32 years, no cast member of a regular show had ever welcomed me aboard anything. So that was a big thrill, yeah. I started late, you know, in 1956, I was 30, a, low, a late starter in show business. And yet with the magic of movies, you know, and television, because television was very big in 1956, I found myself a few months later, never acted before, kissing Margaret O'Brien. <laughs> and I my God, I'm kissing the kid from Meet Me in St. Louis. And then <laughs> compare child stars, a few months later, I was kissing Shirley Temple. She had a series going called, I'm sure you all know it, the Shirley Temple Storybook. And they cast me as a dashing swain in, in, in yellow tights, climbing up the castle walls, live television. So if I fell, I fell, you know. <laughs> Uh, but what a contrast between the two the young ladies, even as they were then. Shirley was happily married, two kids. We would stop rehearsals at four every day. This was a live show, the Shirley Temple show, so that her husband and the two kids could visit and have tea and for half an hour, and then we would resume rehearsing the Shirley Temple show. But Margaret was very shy and very sweet, and so we would do our scenes, but then she would just, she wasn't a conversational type lady. She would just sit with her mother and wait for the call for the next scene. And because I'm an old movie nerd, it was a thrill because I was coming in at the transition time between the golden age of movies yeah. and the upcoming golden age of television. Yeah. I would find myself being directed by Ida Lupino. Like, oh my God, I'm being directed by Ida Lupino. And uh, uh, Paul Henry. Henry of Casablanca. Yeah. And suddenly these, these familiar faces from that golden age that we all know about were directing because they had wisely made the transition since there weren't that many movies being made into being working actors in television and working directors. And so because I'm such a movie nerd, there were so many times Somebody on, 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 in an episode of Adventures in Paradise would hold out his hand and say, hi, I'm Thomas Mitchell. And I'd be saying, Thomas Mitchell from Gone with the Wind? Oh, my God. So <laughs> life was a big thrill for me, as well as making my way gradually, bit by bit, you know. I, the parts were getting a bit better, and the pay was getting better. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I made this big decision to just give up. I, well, really a lucrative and successful BBC career in radio in England mm -hmm. to think I've got to try my luck in Hollywood. So a word of praise to Rosemary Clooney. I hope you all remember this marvelous singer. Oh, yeah. Because when I, I, I had an interview show on the BBC and, and Clooney was my guest. And I wanted so to be an actor. And I thought, well, I'll try my luck in Hollywood. So at the end of our interview, I loved her so much, loved all her songs. I said, do you think I can have any luck working in radio uh, in, in America? And she said, call me when you get there. Talk about the magic words. Thanks to Clooney, I'm sitting here with my good friends here. It's all because of this wonderful lady from Kentucky.
So thank you, Rosemary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, that is delightful. Oh, indeed. Thank you, Rosemary. Indeed. Thank you, Seb, for that great question. And let's go ahead and roll another one. And this comes from Jessica. Ah, does anyone have any memorabilia, uh, Disney memorabilia? And if so, what is your favorite uh, piece in your collection? Uh, I got Margaret's autograph at the last convention, so <laughs> I, I, I got a, I got a selfie with her last time we were all together. <laughs> I've just. I have something that is really odd. Um, they used to uh, bicycle uh, the films to the different theaters. I mean, and they, it was the films and the film cams and so on yeah. and so forth. And at the same time, they sent out a, uh, a sheet, a big long sheet, uh, well, it was a, a little booklet of the stories that they could, that the uh, manager of the theater could give to the newspaper about the movie, etc., etc. Yeah, the press camera. And, and I want to tell you that Disney is not perfect because I saved this. The one that they sent out and the second go around, uh, the first go around said, well, the little red-headed pixie runs all over. And I went, the little red-headed pixie. And then they spelled Tinkerbell as one word. And this came right from Disney. And so I got in, in touch with uh, Dave Smith and said, you, I, I, I didn't know anybody. I'm real young. I did this movie. And I was, but you can call anybody there or talk to anybody. And I said, I think they've gotten something wrong here. And the story was that she started out to be a redhead. But Natalie, oh dear, what was her last name? They had a technical said that the red hair against all the green foliage would not work well in color. So they switched it over to a blonde. And they hadn't told the PR department. Ah. And the PR department was swiftly told that Tinkerbell is toured. You don't know how many um, uh, fan mail I get where they spell Tinkerbell with one word because you say it so quickly. Sure. The only way I'm going, to, I'm going to be a little bit uh, side here. Um, my the name of my um, website is Tinkerbell Talks, and it's all one word. But the B is capitalized. So anyway, they got. I want to let them know that we know it's Miss Bell because if you remember when she was captured by the good captain for, he said, "But Miss Bell." You remember that you have been banished from Neverland. And so that's how we know it's Miss Bell. And so those were the fun things. But I have the original leaflet uh, that they sent out to all these different theaters. So I think that's one of my favorites. That, that's what, that is, that is really neat. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, who's, Donnie, go ahead. I don't have any memorabilia or clicker's items from those times. The war ruptured everything. I remember I was in a boarding house at age 14, and that's called survival. Uh, But my memorabilia is current life and current people 
and the influence of these films on lives today. I wish I had them here. If you get bored of me, I'd be showing too many of them to you. To get, I give you an example. Two and a half weeks ago, 11 children in New England, okay, in Maine, okay, together in a class, sent me cards with notes and letters in them because of Bambi. Not because of anything else in the world, but because of Bambi, okay? And the, the expressions that they pulled out of that film and quote in the letters over and over for almost 100 letters this year alone on Bambi to this modest house in the middle of West Texas. Amazing. They had to do something to find the address, you know. That would be the KGB from Russia or something to find the address, you know. Just amazing. The expressions of the children to this day, particularly those that just saw Bambi for the first time, 14, 9, 16 years old, is an absolute endorsement of Walt's wanting to take that book, classic book, and make it into a film forever. Yeah. Lucky me. Lucky all of us. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter, do you, did you, do you have anything or have you acquired anything lately or just anything in general? No, but I, I do have, this is, I think, my favorite memorabilia, and I'll show it to you all if you'd like to see it. This oh. is one of the original uh, sketch. Let me see if I get you got it. Wait a minute, get it without the uh, reflection. This is a, one of the original sketch uh, studies for Thumper uh, before the movie was actually uh, started. And uh, I feel quite lucky to have it. Oh, that's wonderful, Peter. That's, that's a, wonderful. It's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece. Oh, absolutely, indeed. Uh, David, uh, so you uh, you got anything? Well, yeah, I mean, my memorabilia is again a Disney one. While I was doing 101 Dalmatians, Disney cast me as in a live action feature he was about to produce as a two part television show. You know, he had his television series then. Yes. And this is 1960, and it was called Ten Who Dared about the first 10 men who charted the course of the Colorado River in the 19th century. So my first Disney was, of course, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now Disney's introduced me to my first Western. I'd never been in a Western before. It was to be filmed in Moab in Utah. And I thought, I can't ride a horse. Didn't have to. I had to row a boat because we were charting the Colorado River. And Disney, you know, he had this genius for knowing the right, the right way to market something. It was to be a two-part television show. When he saw the first dailies, we were shooting in Moab in Utah with the Arches National Monument. John Ford filmed a lot there too. When Disney saw those first dailies, he called our very old director, William Bodine from Silent Movies, still directing in 1960, and said, make it a feature. So we all had to run out of Moab and buy underwear and socks and things because Instead of two weeks, uh, you know, on location, we were there, I think, about six weeks. And I had the time of my life rowing a boat. And I, I, it was November, I remember. And I had to play a drunk fighting over a bottle of whiskey in one of the boats. I fell into the Colorado in November with had ice on the, you know, on the banks of the river. Yikes! And just outside of camera 
were stuntmen with ropes across the river in case when we fell in, we couldn't swim to shore. So it's a memorabilia that's very vivid in my memory. Thank you, Walt Disney. <laughs> indeed, absolutely indeed. Uh, and thank you, Jessica. That was a great question. And GalaxyCon viewers, this has been my time with these Disney legends. Panelists, as always, this has been an absolute delight. Any final words before we take our leave? I just want to say I love hearing these stories. I love hearing you guys tell your experiences. Uh, and I'm just happy to be here. Thanks, guys. I love hearing the, the feelings behind them, behind your stories. And it's, it's always, it's there. You know, it's not just a story. And it touches me. And I love hearing it. And happy holiday to everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> I need to find out what kind of pills Margaret takes because I could use the help. She's got <laughs> the batteries. Uh, well, it's a small world after all, isn't it? Here we are all together. Yes. Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it has been my absolute pleasure to host you all. Once again, thank you for joining us on the GalaxyCon virtual stage. Thank you to our audience for joining us, and thank you for your great questions. Hope to see everybody again soon. Until then, bye-bye, take care, happy holidays, and remember, smiles are free, so spend them often. <laughs>